0: And welcome back to another on coaching podcast with Magnus and Marcus. I am Steve Magnus, Deputy Director of High Performance West, joined in Houston, Texas by John Marcus. We are coming to you live and together. Together, yeah. You know, we
1: are in the building.
0: It's it's amazing. This happens uh once a year. You know.
1: <laughs> once a year we get like live ones together. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Normally at track meets. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and all as always, our podcast has a sponsor. Not as always; it's been very yeah, recent, well, actually. I wish it was at always, you know. but well, we've always had a sponsor. It just we, was mostly our- ourselves. ourselves. Yeah, we're self, but now we have someone, yeah. you know, <laughs> someone awesome who provides an awesome service that is related to our listeners and ourselves. Yeah. Really, yeah. So we're sponsored by Health IQ. Which is an insurance company that helps people like us, right? Mm. Runners, strength coaches, athletes, basically people being active, right? Because they know that active people are, you know, we're, we're kind of better. Li- well,
1: they, we live longer and we like life. Exactly. And a, health, a life insurance company is here to give more life.
0: So if you want lower rates on life insurance, Health IQ can help you out. So go to healthiq.com slash on coaching to support the show and see if you qualify again i think the coolest thing about this is you literally send in race results to see if you qualify that's something that we all pretty neat that's pretty neat and
1: you know we believe in building a longer table and so since we've gotten a little couple little nuggets and morsels of dollars from sponsors here we're going to pay the people too. So don't forget, go to highperformancewest.com. There's a tab that says $100 on it. Just fill out your name, your email, and when you start listening to the on coaching podcast here. And Steve and I are going to pick at random someone who, um, or two people, actually, excuse me, we're picking around two people who have been listening and who filled out the form. And then we're also going to give you not only $100 for whatever you want to do with, hopefully something healthy, hopefully something to support your running endeavor or your athletic lifestyle endeavor, but we we'll are also give you another 100 bucks to give back. Give back in some way. However, whatever you want to do with it, you just have to give back. It's a pay it forward, you know, three degrees of pay it forward from our sponsor to me and Steve, from me and Steve to you, to you to someone else because that's the culture we're trying to, create is one of contribution
0: so go to hbw go to health iq.com slash on coaching keep supporting things so we can keep doing things like this
1: yeah it's fun it's awesome so thank you yep. listeners for uh, empowering us to be able to do this because without you we could not so this is actually a thank you thank you as it always has been and always will be because we are here to give the people what they want. And speaking of that,
0: what what do you guys want this week? How about talking about the intangibles? The things
1: people can't really ever talk about or put their finger on. The intangibles, but... Can't the, quantify them. But the, they make all the difference in the world, right?
0: And that's why no one ever... I mean, everyone <laughs> kind of glosses over it, right? Yes. Yeah, you got to have the intangibles. But we're here to discuss what in the world that might actually mean and uh do so you know i i guess the point a place to start is probably how or what are the intangibles right how do we how do you see that how do you how do you uh you know decide that and i think you know we decided on this podcast by watching track
1: meet yes yeah so you go to a track me um and you see a lot of tangibles on display it's the posture and the air which an athlete carries themselves. It's the demeanor and uh, the composition of which they do their warm-up procedures or their last few strides um, before they hit the line. It's how they deal with adversities or discomfort in the middle of the race when there's no timeout to be had. It's all those, you know, you hate to say little things because it's so cliche and trite, but they are. There's these little things that are ingredients that have a big magnitude of correctness if executed really well. Also, too, it's about who you surround yourself with, who's in your support network, who do you choose to listen to, things you're consuming, whether it's internally through your mouth for nourishment or whether it's things like this through a podcast or education or if it's uh, Netflix or TV, like those things are intangibles as well to a certain degree. So it's all these tertiary influences that on their own isn't a big deal, but add it up drip by drip, you know, um, over time, have it become a tsunami wave that's an insurmountable impact.
0: Yeah, you know, when I look at the intangibles, I look at it as the things that are almost like a little bit hazy that I don't know how to exactly wrap my head around, mm-hmm. but I can just look there and be like, oh, man, like that person's got it. it, it the it know, factor. They've, yes. they've got it. Yeah. And, and that it could be... You know, again, it could come across as how they line up for the starting line. It could be how they're looking in the race and when they, di- they move and all that stuff. But it's just, it's just something that you can't quite put your wrap your hands around, And but it's the difference maker.
1: Yeah, it says je ne sais quoi. And, you know, that's the key thing there. And is it something, you know, Steve and I are talking about it on the car ride home from the track meet today. Is, is it something you can teach? And I, you know, we came to the conclusion that we don't know. We we don't think you can. <laughs>
0: we don't I mean, know much.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, okay, we can't teach people about it. Can you at least put them in the ballpark? Can you at least expose them to it, right? Can you at least call it out and show people people who have, you know, show athletes that you're under your charge, other athletes or other performers of craft who have the it factor and what the it factor really is, because. A lot of times we look at the it factor and we say, "Oh, it was manifested by the result," and the result is the it. No, no, no. It's the influence. The it factor influenced the result that they are able to produce. So it's still in the ballpark about the process. This is, and you know, file this in your taxonomy about the process because yeah. these intangibles influence an athlete's process.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, when I when I look at these things and, you know, when we started to discuss it actually at the track meet was uh, looking at a couple athletes and, you know, you didn't know who anyone were, was. So, you know, picking them out and be like, ah, that person's got it. And then they produce and then you look like a genius, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I'll,
1: I'll give you two concrete examples. So I was watching the warm-ups and I love watching warm-ups at track meets. Um, from different athletes when I'm not coaching because it's always a learning opportunity. It's very fascinating to see the different type of drills and demeanor and focus and, you know, uh, design and execution everyone has on a drill. And I was watching uh, a group of 400 meter hurdle women warm up. One woman was very, very good, very skilled at drills. Very crisp, very sharp, went through a, a very detailed drill sequence. I was impressed. I was like, wow. But I secretly said to myself, you know what, she's probably not that competitive. And it wasn't to discredit her competency at drills, but it might have came at a cost. It might have came at a cost if she was so focused on the drills as the vehicle to get her sharp and get her better. And while drills do have their place and they are critical, it's not everything. And maybe you're leaving – a little bit on the table from a competitive and training standpoint if you're over-investing in the drills. But I said, I don't know if she's going to be in the field relative to the most competitive person. Then I saw another uh, young woman, and she was very competent at her drills as well, but she was zooming in and zooming out. What I mean by that is she would do uh, her, a drill set, you know, some toe touches or um, some different types of uh, hamstring uh, activation uh, activities. And she'd be very focused when she did the drill. And then she'd zoom out and she'd get back to reality, say hi to a friend or like, you know, give a high five to a teammate who was jogging by. But she had this ability to zoom in and zoom out versus the gal who was so intent on her drills. She was in the zone focused to the highest degree throughout the entirety of her warm-up procedure. Now, again, it's not good or bad, but I've just seen enough people who fool you. It's called I, I call it the drill fool because it fools the coach or fools the observer that they're good at drills, so therefore they're going to be very good at competing. And it's not always the case. It, there are, all, of course, exceptions to the rules, but I've noticed this ability as Phoebe Wright has talked about before. In a podcast episode a couple of years back, this, this ability to zoom in and zoom out quickly oh. is a very good indicator of a high performer. We get to the track. Again, I don't know who anyone is. I'm here in Houston visiting Steve and it's a college track meet with I have no context and I just I'm going to watch the 400 hurdles because I'm going to say, well, maybe I was wrong because I'm wrong a lot. And I'm like, well, maybe that's wrong. But the the gal who was able to zoom in and zoom out, she had this just calm, focused demeanor and mystique about her even before the gun go off like she just knew she had it like she you know was very confident in her posture and appearance and it wasn't forced it wasn't you know from a, an, a, a point of anxiousness or a point of like I have to check this box off or else I was just I'm gonna go out here I'm gonna do my thing and gonna execute the young woman who was the um, drill queen unfortunately looked very out of place on the track getting into blocks about to compete gun goes off and the um, zoom in, zoom out, zoom out girl or woman was boom way ahead after the first hurl, way ahead of the field. The the drill queen, she cut off the block slow. Her technique over the hurl was phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. But she didn't have the magnitude of correctness of being fast on the ground. And so she, maybe she thought her way to compensate for it was to be much better at Proficiency of drills and technique, which is again very critical. Do not get me wrong here. But she missed the first order of correctness, the first order of magnitude of correctness, which is be fast first. And it was interesting because the drill queen ended up giving about, you know, in the field of eight, I think fifth or so. You know, she wasn't out. She but she was out of the conversation after the first hurdle for first place. Versus the zoom in, zoom out young woman. She was zoomed in and just clicking along those hurdles. Nonstop, and I mean the four-meter hurdle event is a tough event. I have a lot of respect for those athletes. But it's curious to see that manifest. And I picked, you know, I just picked my horses, so to speak, as you were as a fan, just based off that interpretation, knowing nothing else. I had no idea what school they were from. I had no idea of previous PRs. Like, I just said, I'm going to pick this blindly.
0: Nailed it. Yeah. Once. One. So <laughs> for never, rec- never, record, never do record. it. Never do it again. <laughs> never do it again. Yeah. But you know, I, I think I think what we're getting at there and that story is that if you if you watch behaviors, like they provide information, and sometimes it's not like conscious information of you know you know exploring. Oh, what is is this? Like, what is her look going into the blocks? Right. That's very hard to. Like conceptualize and, and quantify. But what it does is it provides in information. And I think all of us can sit there and watch a track meet and maybe watch our own runners and look at them in the eye as they're getting up on the, on the starting line and determine like, Oh man, like he's in it. She's in it. You know, ah, oh, his mind's elsewhere. Yep. Like he's thinking about, you know, you know, something else, and you can just kind of tell, you know, and I think those are the, when you look at performing on the stage, you know, whether it's in track or, you know, anything else, it's the people who, the people who have the intangibles are the ones who can get them in the right place to compete and execute their skill versus the ones who, you know, haven't quite figured it out yet. And the ones who haven't quite figured it out yet are the ones who, you know, have momentary lapses, mm-hmm. right? Or who minds kind of drift off a little bit in the middle of the race or who lose focus or don't anticipate the move, right? Because, you know, that's another thing that's part of the intangibles yeah. is that racing savvy of not, you know, as Danny Mackey said in a, one of our um, latest podcasts is to anticipate moves not react to moves right and that intangible to be able to in their mind almost predict what's going to happen say hey i've seen this movie before so i know what to do is something that um you know is valuable for a runner but is also something that you know as we talked about is i don't think it can necessarily be you know taught to a degree it has to be led to and then they make the decision to figure it out
1: yeah to steal um a uh saying from uh, author simon sinek good leaders the best leaders make you feel safe and so you're trying to lead people to feel safe because a lot of times in racing right it's a um, very confrontational combative you know competitive crucible you know, there's things on the line, especially the higher you get, the higher platform of competition that's had more is on the line or perceived to be on the line. So a good leader, in my opinion, makes the athlete feel safe, makes them feel safe in terms of you can take a risk here. You have what it takes to be competitive here. You're not ready to go, but you're able to um, try things out and I won't get mad at you if you fail. I won't get upset if you don't get first, I won't be pissed off if you don't set a PR and qualify to the conference meet. Right. And a lot of times there's so much tertiary intangibles or expectations um, going on in an athletes mind coming into race day that they don't feel safe. They yeah. feel in a space of anxiety. And you can see that from the, uh, you know, the body cues, right? So what over 80% of communication is nonverbal. And we are all keen students and apt um, interpreters of how someone's body posture and cueing looks on the day, and if it's out of line, if they feel safe, if they feel anxious, if they feel secure, if they feel strong, if they feel confident, right? And so, as a coach, we tend to, you know, say, "Oh, well, we're infusing the athlete with confidence because of their training." You're able to do all this density, intensity of training, so therefore, you can now compete at the, the appropriate level on um, race day or competition day or game day. It doesn't work like that at all so you have to say well you've done the physical work to ready yourself for this competition as best you're able to but now here i'm going to you know create a culture and culture right culture is best communicated another intangible is culture but it's best expressed in the little actions how you say what you say do you put your hand around your athlete and their shoulder and give them like you know a half hug or a bear hug and say i unconditionally you're on my team and unconditionally i'm going to be there for you no matter what you do so, those intangibles go a long way
0: well there's a great study that came out maybe a year or two ago that looked at um nba teams and they quantified how many times they, like, Yeah, touched. the touch, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, like, the, the teams that touched more, right? Slapped hands, high fives, like, bumped shoulders, whatever it is. Like, <clears throat> they ended up winning more games, right? Right. And it was... Statistically significant.
1: And then you had the overextension of like now we have a uh, touching rule. <laughs> yeah. And it's that was so just like inorganic in like <laughs> you know, just because the thing was the organicness in the Right. It's not the touching that no, matters. No, it was it's the, the
0: signal that is sent. Yes. That like the true genuine signal, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people miss, um, and I think that's what's important to realize is the the signals that are sent as as you as a coach, right? So you know this is kind of a tangent, but after those, yeah, things. yeah, we're good. <laughs> a- after a race, um, where your athlete, let's say they took a risk, right? They went out harder than they should have, and they they went out with the leader, and then they blew up. Then the when they finish, are you lighting into them? right right because that sends a signal yeah that sends a signal that hey like that's an unacceptable behavior like don't take risks that is not a safe behavior Mm -hmm. or do you come in and say you, you know come in and say hey man like i'm proud of the risk let's look at why it didn't work right and let's learn from it but don't like all right like i'm not super i'm not upset that you took a risk and it failed like i'd rather you take a risk than play it safe right Mm -hmm. then you're sending a different message one of safety and uh, security and taking those chances so as a coach you have to be incredibly attuned to the message that you are sending
1: and that is you know critical before during and after the competition right Our language as coaches, our posture matters. And, you know, as a coach, the intangibles are you're always trying to move, ideally, your athlete to to their best competitive selves. And hopefully that spills over into being their best personal selves. And so if you can elevate the athlete to take a risk on race day or competition day and say, look, the whole point's to learn. And if you fail, well, you just learned. You learned one more way not to do it right so you take this risk and it doesn't manifest the outcome you desired just don't do that ever again like not a big deal no you don't have to promise me you're gonna get better you don't have to you know puff out your chest and say oh you know this i I can you know i can do better and i will and make all these false promises like yeah i learned one more way it's not gonna work and that's that's okay and that's good i actually walked away better because i learned something and you know a lot of times it's about a very clear conversation between you and the athlete about what's it for. What's the race today for? Well, the race today is for this. It's for that. It's to go take a risk. Is it f- to prove a point that you're the most superior dominant team or athlete in your event on that day at that track? I mean, if it's for that, that's fine. But you just have to have a very clear, detailed understanding about what's it for. Otherwise, you get to a um, another intangible that actually is a hurtful intangible, which is, unaligned expectations where yep. the coach's expectation might be at a little higher level than the athletes or even vice versa. And when the expectations are misaligned, that creates a very much of a frictional relationship where you do get the coach, you know, chewing out the athlete post-competition, post-race, like you guys didn't bring it. What's wrong with you? You guys need to do, you know, and just blame, 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 blame. But however, as a coach, you need to own some of that blame too, because if your athletes didn't bring it, obviously your expectations and their expectations weren't aligned. And so that causes a moment of reflection to say, hey guys, you didn't bring it, and that means I didn't bring the appropriate level of expectation to you. And that community, right, that's what we're saying. You can't manufacture culture. Having a touch rule, that's manufacturing culture. Culture can is an organic thing that happens through trust, symbiotic, ownership of failures and defeats and as a coach we must own our failures as just as much as we encourage the athletes to own it because we're human too.
0: Yeah, and I think that responsibility like that ownership um is an incredibly important piece because I, again, I think it comes down to what environment and culture and message are you trying to send, right? So for example, in the meet today, it was you know in Houston, Texas in April. It was Twenty mile an hour winds and like fifty degrees. It's colder
1: than that. It's like forty five. It was legitimately cold. I I only brought shorts here. I go bad move.
0: Yeah, no, it was freezing. But so you know, it it's our home meet, whatever. So you know, I walked up to each athlete and I said, "Hey, what's the goal today?" And you know, sometimes they said, "You know, what's the point?" And I said, you know, they didn't say anything. I'm like, "We're racing. Like, I don't care about time. Like, just go race people. Yeah. Like." Do whatever it is you want to do, but, like, we're going to race. And whatever, you know, with each individual, whatever that meant, like that meant. But, it, you know, the the point was obvious, is that the times are going to be off. So don't obsess over that. Don't try and hit any splits. Just ignore it and just go get better at racing, and then we'll figure something out. Some had very specific um plans for what to do in races and others had hey like this is opportunity to work on tactics and positioning and all that stuff and again it was very simple but it like shifts the mindset and shifts the expectations because now i'm giving the person like permission to go race and they're not sitting there like oh my gosh it's windy if i run you know normally i run 355 for the 1500 and if i run four flat then i'm going to be a failure because the failure, like the success or failure isn't on the time anymore. And you're giving that athlete permission to say like, OK, now I really know I don't have to worry about that. So it's, it's understanding like what message you're sending on this stuff um, and what the athlete is uh, receiving as well.
1: And other intangibles, too, are the environment, right? And by the environment, I don't mean this really broad general thing. The environment the athlete surrounds themselves with, like who they hang out with matters. You know, who they choose to listen to matters or not listen to. And now more than ever, we have a culture where you're listening to um, many uninformed pundits, you know, on social media who have an idea, who have a concept, and who can just put – Push the publish button, but without any deep reservoir of experience or education behind it. And so if you're trying to appease certain, you know, uninformed pundits or even people who are well-meaning within that person's uh, family and support network, but who have a superficial understanding about the sport and about the craft that they're employed in and all their context is, is you're only good if you win. You're only good if you set a PR. What happened today? You didn't set a (laughs) a PR. What happened today? You didn't win. Well, you don't have to necessarily go to that well-meaning uh, supporter within their network and they have to say, oh, and explain it into detail. It's just like, hey, my coach and I are working on some things and it's all good. Because if you create a culture of safety as a coach to say it's okay to do these things, it's okay to take risks, I have your back no matter what. You're on my team. I'm not trading you. You're not getting demoted. You're not getting... You know, boot it out if you don't bring the highest standard or a better product every day. Again, we can't um, see athletes as commodities. It's not, oh, you have to bring the best product every day. It's like, no, they're human beings and we're trying to help nurture growth. And unfortunately, that nurturing of growth is messy, messy business. So you signed up for everything, the, the, the highs <laughs> and the many, many, many lows as a coach.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, <clears throat> Uh, on that part one of the other intangibles that i think is uh interesting is the ability to show up yeah you know is the is the athletes who had it like they were the ones who were gonna show up almost regardless of what's gonna happen mm-hmm. right they were gonna be in it um be in the race be in the position for as long as they could even on on an off day and you know i give again since we're in track meet mode like i give a former web uh, one of my athletes, and now my grad assistants, uh, Dre Vaughn, a lot of credit in this because, like, whenever he raced for us, he showed up. Yeah. Like, then today, again, he's done, as I was explaining to John, he's done one workout, and he trains with Army ROTC, which means he goes and jogs, like, two miles at 10-minute pace, mm-hmm. right? Carrying a backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, And he shows up, and I say, Hey, Dre, like, I need you to... He had for a year and a half. I need you to rabbit a 1500 out in two minutes and then come back and rabbit an 800 coming through 51 high. And he just does it. Right. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. And there's no like, there's no like, oh shit. Like, am I in shape? Am I this? And then I'm that. And he's like, all right, I've got this lifetime of fitness. Like I'm relatively fit. Like I'm just going to go out and execute the best I can and get it done. Yeah. And you know, if, if, You know, if that's someone else, which we've had, like the panic would happen, right? It's like, well, I'm not quite ready for that. And I don't know if I can do that. And I think that is one of the clear differences between, you know, those who kind of have it and those who don't or those who have it like they will they will show up. They will say, all right, what's my job? Like, I'm going to get it done or I'm going to execute it to the best of my ability And if I can't get it done, I'm going to execute it as long as I can and, you know, do what I can for this. And those who don't, like, they'll freak out and panic and kind of be done with it. It's an
1: integrity issue, right? Does does what you say and what you do sync up? Are they in the same ballpark? And a lot of times (laughs) that's what young athletes are trying to explore is integrity. So you may have a big goal. You may want to run this fast or win this big fancy race or what have you. But then you don't. And then, we, when the athlete stops being the, the victor, and that was their intent and their design and their goal, and that was the sole reason they were training and doing things, they start to get anxiety because now they can't even trust themselves to follow yeah. through with the things they said they want to do. And that's where it's very difficult to create goals that are outcome based on winning. Because nine times out of 10, that's like out of your control. Should your process be true, and should your process be have high integrity you know there might be a high likelihood you'll win a race or two or three or what have you but to be able to predict winning as an athlete to be able to say oh yeah the jump shot's going to go in every single time and remind athletes of this all the time lebron james still airballs lebron james still bricks hard what does lebron james do keeps shooting you know Keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. Same thing with baseball players. They strike out hardcore. These are the most proficient people at hitting a fast 90 to 100 mile an hour ball on the planet, which is a very tough skill to do, and yet they strike out more often than not. What do they do? Keep swinging. Their intent is to hit the ball, yes. But if they said to themselves, my goal as a professional player is to hit the ball every time I step to a plate, real quick they get anxious because they can't um, oblige that and follow through with that goal and that commitment. And so their integrity is off. Now, as a coach, the intangibles about setting people up on race day or setting them up for success is to find a um, uh, a out, a process that leads eventually, it will hopefully lead to the destination of an outcome that you desire and the athlete desire, but have them focus on executing the process. So when Steve goes up to your athletes and says, the goal today is to race. What does racing look like? Being competitive when you're challenged or when you're in a state of discomfort, you know, owning it but then trying to battle back. And I saw that a lot with U of H athletes. They might not have always been in first position winning. They might have been in like the latter third of a a section, like they're in the back of the pack, but they were out there racing. I didn't see anyone give up. We actually saw an 800-meter woman of Steve's in the slower section. She went out a little too fast for her fitness in the eight and bit her in the butt and she kind of threw a pity party, it looked like, for 100 meters, um, you know, from 600 to 700 meters ago. Then she rallied. She said, oh, I got a race. She looked up and she started to, like, start running run people down after you thought she was going backwards. So that was a great moment for Steve to call out and say, hey, look, we saw this. You gave up by yourself, but then you pulled your head out, your butt, and you rallied and you raced. Way to go, kid. And so you take that learning moment. And that an opportunity to help elevate the athlete. But again, it's many young athletes and even professional athletes struggle with integrity. Because if you're saying you want to accomplish something, but it's outside your control, you've already lost the race before it's begun. You have to say you want to accomplish something that every step is within your control. You can't say it's within my steps run 65 seconds per lap today. if We have 20 mile per hour winds and it's 25 degrees below normal temperature. That might not sync up and you might already lost a race before it begun. You might not say, Oh, I, I am going to win every race I run this year. That, you know, again, what happens when you lose that first race? What happens when the pressure yeah. of winning makes you so anxious that you're like in a star studded field at a championship meet and you don't know if you can win the race now. <laughs> But you say you're going to win them all. I don't know. And then that gnaws at you versus the excitement of, man, I'm at the championship race. I want the fast people. I'm going against other fast people. This is going to be awesome. Let's see what we can do. You know, da, da, da. So those intangibles even uh, correlate to how we perceive the process and how we set ourselves up to be successful or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, so we've talked a lot about kind of what they are. Right. Or how they manifest, I think is probably a a better way to put it. How they manifest, which I think we're all can kind of see and understand. I think, you know, when I look at this stuff and I'm still trying to figure this out is like, all right, how can I, how do we get people closer to that? Mm -hmm. You know, like how do I, you know, I have like in my head, I have the model, right? Right. I've seen, I have a couple athletes who do this and, You know, we've been through a couple of different athletes, like, you know, they got it. Like, how do we move people more close or closer to, closer to that? And I think, you know, when I, when I've thought about these things, it's the intangibles require a commitment, right? It requires a commitment where the athlete is almost internalizing, like, this is who I am and this is how I behave right and to get to that level like they have to go through this process of making that decision on their own right and it's our job as coaches to put them in places or give them opportunities or guide them on how to do it but once they're in that moment they have to be the one to commit and do it right they have to be the one to take ownership um to say like this is who i am and this is how i do it because i think if you don't like if it's not done that way it's it's almost like you're faking your way through it right yeah. it, it it's like you're oh i'm gonna act like him right the act as if yeah model. I'm, I'm gonna act as if i am him or i i do that and what happens is when when push comes to shove right when the stress and anxiety are there you just revert
1: Oh, you feel like an imposter because you're yeah. acting as if, yeah. but you don't feel like you have the credentials or you don't feel like you're really truly is you, right? Yeah. And I think people get stage fried or people, you know, uh, don't want to talk in public or they get all sweaty. And you, I learned this a long time ago. The act as if model is there and it's popular and it's supposed to help encourage and promote habituation and action towards that paradigm or that imaginary perfect or highly successful self that you want to become. But ultimately, I think it's flawed in that along the way you're discrediting everything that's not the as if. Because part of the maturation and growth process is owning it. And i remind athletes of this all the time own it. Whatever you do, own it. It is yours. You're doing it. You know, you run a great race, own it. You are a you know race very below in you know your expectation or level of ability own it you get an a on the paper you get an f on the paper own it own it own it own it and if you're not teaching a culture of ownership and this is again radically transparent ownership own all the things you do and own all the things you don't do like hey i don't go out to the bar and you know friday nights ever I don't go out to the bar any night ever or I go out to the bars Saturday nights for three hours and just until noon or midnight, excuse me. And then I head back home because I'm Cinderella. Like, but just own it. Don't be disingenuous. Don't be insincere.
0: Right. Don't 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 act like or don't think that you have to act in a certain way. Right. Right. It's like whatever it is you do, it has to be you authentic you. Like, the only way you can get intangibles if is if you are you-authentic you. Yeah. And it's like, if you're not, then, you know, push-chumps-to-shove is, like, the real you is going to show through. Or well,
1: if you're just posing and you're just pretending and you're acting how you think you should act or how yeah. someone at the credential or level of credentials you want should act and then you're playing a a role you're playing a part you're not really authentic and genuine and that you know and we know in our hearts to heart and and we've
0: seen it right i Mm. mean we've all worked with different athletes who in their own way had it you know to a degree but they did it in a different way than you know someone else right right they've done it uh you know uh it's a signature it's their own unique it's their you're right and they do it you know they might not be in the running world they might not be the person who you know eats perfectly goes to sleep at 9 30 etc etc but they figure out their way of having it all together in their life um to get things done to reach reach their goals and they're true and authentic with it they're saying this is This is the point I'm focused on this. And then I also do this over here. But like when I'm here, man, I'm all in on it, you know.
1: And that's the critical thing to remember is is you don't have to create, you know, the intangibles is not about perfect. The intangibles is about magnitude of correctness, knowing the things that have the biggest impact on you or on your athletes. Right. And when they feel safe and secure that their support network and their coaches included are aligned with that then all of a sudden it's a sturdy platform from which they can springboard and explore. And it's a home base which they can come back to. And it's not just, you know, this idea about anything you do is everything you do concept. It's also about owning what you do and owning what you don't do. And that to me in this day and age, some people call it accountability, um, but I like to call it ownership because it's yours and yours alone. And the intangibles are these little genesequels about, all right, what are these outside influences that we might not have very, you know, hard quantitative markers on that are more subjective, but that actually do influence those quantitative markers that we are basing decisions on, and you know those things are require a lot more deep diving and a lot more relationship based coaching, right, where you're interacting with the athlete about what's their general stress level this week for the race uh you know where where's their mind space you know outside of sport is something else happening that's traumatic you know influencing how they're perceiving the world is it a threatening world is it a safe world you know and it shifts too someone can be in a safe world one week and the very next day it's a threatening world and then how do you intervene and how do you uh support someone like that you know there are all these different like things to consider, and yes, we love to geek out on training and we love to geek out on programs and talk about physiology and manipulations and adaptations and stimuli and this and that. You know what to do when someone gets hurt and what's to do, you know, uh, from an injury, um, you know, uh, rehabilitation standpoint or what have you. And we like these concrete action plans, but the intangibles require a softer eye. The the, the intangibles require someone who's a little bit more empathetic, and someone who can say, yeah, I'm a human too. I'm a frail individual with failings, and so are you. But you're going out here and doing something amazing today. You're performing at a high level. You're performing to your highest level, even on a day when it might be windy by 20-mile-per-hour winds and cold. Still go perform at the highest level you can perform for you on this type of day. And if you walk away with that, empowering an athlete with that type of demeanor, They're going to have a very, very um, exciting performance, whether it's a PR or not, or whether it's a first place or not. Then they can feel like, yeah, I accomplished something today instead of like, oh, no, tail between my legs. Coach is going to ream me out for this one. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you create this culture of uh, stress. You create this culture of anxiety because you're sitting there yelling at them, being like, you didn't bring it today. What's wrong with you?
0: Well, you know, you look at it. And in a lot of ways, coaching is like parenting.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, you know. that's, that's why I got. I mean, yeah. It doesn't even matter how old they <laughs> no, are too. Twenty-three, no. four, five-year-olds, thirty-year-olds. I still it, parent them. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: it's parenting, right? It is. And like <laughs> athletic it, parenting. It's athletic sort of parenting. Yeah. But we've all said we've all maybe been there ourselves. We had we've had friends, right? We know where it's like, oh. Like you act that way because your parents did this, this, and this, and this, right? And whether that's in a discipline, whether that's <laughs> in like uh, helicoptering, what, whatever it is, like you see how the kid acts because of like that, because of how they were conditioned a little bit. Mm-hmm. And on the track, we're we're the parents, right? Yeah, we're conditioning conditioning them. To react to si- situations in, in different ways. And I think that's mm-hmm. why it's important as coaches, um, if we want to craft and move athletes towards some of these intangibles is to really focus on that message you're sending and also that, you know, that message of motivation of whether it's coming from a place of fear, right? Or a desire to succeed or maybe even a fear of success, mm-hmm. right? there's all these different motivational things that can that can or messages that can be sent and you know if we yell at athletes afterwards if we you know praise them if we ignore them like they all send different messages and it's not to say that like any one message is necessarily the best it's that there's probably different times and places to use subtle variations of each different message you have to be. And I think when I look at it, like when I use, like you know, um, you know, we'll call it a light end to a message, like it's very, very strategically placed. Right. Right. It is for a purpose, knowing the reaction that I'm going to get out of it, mm-hmm. not like to make me feel good and like ah, I said my point. Now mm-hmm. these athletes know it. Um, it's more of, all right, if I yell at this kid now, like, what is that kid's reaction going to be? Is that a reaction that I want to take? And then where am I taking them him afterwards? Right. And I think those considerations are things that, you know, we need to realize because, you know, when I look at athletes who maybe have the intangibles or maybe don't, um, a lot of times they, they don't because you know and i'm not going to blame it all on parents but kind of because of bad parenting well it's cult-
1: it's culture it's yep. whatever your culture was remember we <laughs> cannot change people's behaviors as much as we want and we cannot change their decision making but we can influence right and that's very critical to understand a lot of times we act as if we can we're change agents and we can change your behavior and your decisions we can't those are every individual's own and they have to own them but by influencing them, and the degree of influence you can nurture that alteration. That's hopefully within their um, within with their best intentions at heart. And that I think as a coach is a very critical element. Like if you're trying to get an athlete to uh, you know take nutrition a little bit more seriously and not just put absolute junk in their body, you cannot change that behavior. You cannot watch them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and see what goes in or not. But you can influence that. You can say, what message, what evidence can I use to empower that athlete to then consider making that change of behavior on their own? And that, I think, is another intangible aspect to actually the coaching craft that we must understand and, and must, you know, oblige. Because if we, are, we, I'd be remiss to say, if we didn't include that. Because then we can have misguided um, expectations here where I think as a coach, I can change an athlete's behavior when the reality is the athlete is not going to be changed at all or be- change their behavior at all because of how I'm sending the message. So that subtlety, that intangible of that interaction of how do I influence it, right? All coaches are in marketing. We're trying to market to athletes a better strategy, a better way, a better construct, a better tactic, a better narrative to adopt. So that they can walk away from the exchange with us or from the teaching time that they had under our wing and be able to manifest that and execute that in the chaos that is a race, in the chaos that is life. Because ultimately, right, these birds have to fly on their own. You know, we yeah. we we cannot we cannot be hawks and watch over them 24-7. Like set them free. You gotta let them out the nest and let them fly. And hopefully you've infused them with enough of the um, awareness about what matters and has a big impact and the things that don't matter um, and the pitfalls to avoid. But at the same time, too, they have to make their own mistakes. And the intangibles, too, also come to personalities. When you know a pessimistic personality, as much as you want to change the pessimistic personality, you can't. It's not your personality if you're a, a total optimist. And if you have someone who's far too optimistic, who's delusional to the point of, you know, excessive optimism you can't like have them come down and be a little bit more realistic you can influence that and show them evidence say here's the evidence here's the evidence i have that you might want to consider in not saying you have to change or else because when you start to create ultimatums in any relationship that creates our static and friction and standoffish, and then you can't actually communicate when there's ultimatums so the best thing is to have this collaborative approach where you view yourself as an influencer of behavior. And eventually they'll figure it out. Most athletes want to be competent. Most athletes want to get a return on their investment of work, time and energy. And they might not do it right away. It might take a year, it might take two. It might take until the very last race or senior year.
0: <laughs> you know, I've had that myself. I've had that, that same.
1: Yeah. And it, but it's, it's it, you know, but that's the satisfaction of coaching is if you, when you break through or when the, the influence that you're trying to communicate breaks through for the athlete's betterment, that's when you can pat yourself quietly on the back and say, that was a job well done. And I think those intangibles, right, of really the currency of why we coach. It's not necessarily the big dollars that are coming our way every day. It's the human current, the human relationship currency, and seeing someone change or get better, um, which is priceless, you know. And I, I always remember that famous football coach, and I'm you know blanking on the name, um, or basketball coach, I forget now. But the quote is essentially: the, the reporter asked, you know, um, something about they had just won a national title. You know, um, and to the regard of, you know, how he measures, you know, success or is he measured if it was a successful season or something to that regard. And the, the coach said, ask me in 20 years and I'll know if I had a successful impact on these young men. Because it wasn't about winning in the moment. It was about more about who they were going to become. And remember, sport is a crucible and a safe ground for life and to develop character, to develop all these different attitudes and different um, ways to go about things and take risks, to um, stand up, have ambitious goals to follow through with your your actions, follow through with your integrity or your intent to elevate a stronger integrity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we must keep that kind of top of mind all the time as coach. Even when they win the championship, and go out on a high or when they strike out you know or miss the the key penalty kick or blank on you know the important race day and not not get the job done it's teaching 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 not judging 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 and another intangible into the craft of coaching is to remember that as best you can as often as you can as you conduct yourself
0: Exactly, hundred percent agree. I think that's a good place to end this on intangibles. I love that quote, and I forget who said it as well.
1: We'll include it in the show notes, so you have yeah. some accuracy about the context and exact wording go. of it
0: because it's a good one. Gotta
1: love the show notes.
0: Yeah. Um, also in the show notes, you can click on our sponsors, uh, Health IQ. Uh, slash on coaching you can click on that link either at science of running or high performance west you'll see it there and we appreciate you guys if uh, you know you take a look to see if uh, you can save on life insurance so once again thanks for listening and um yeah thanks for being there for us
1: guys appreciate it